we're in a series that we're finishing up this week. Uh, and the title of the, of the series is What Would Jesus Undo? What Would Jesus Undo? And it's kind of this spinoff of the, uh, the 1990s WWJD bracelets that if you were a uh, born-again Christian or you knew a born-again Christian, then uh, you, you knew or you've seen these WWJD bracelets and people would wear them and be like, oh, you know, I want to hurt somebody, but what would Jesus do? And so we'd make that decision. I think he'd hurt him. And then we'd, you know what I mean? So we'd, we'd use those as a way to, uh, to think about what Jesus would do. And so each week, I thought, wouldn't it be even more interesting to ask the question, what would Jesus undo in our lives as Christians? What would he undo in, in the church? What are the things that grieve the heart of God? That's really what it boils down to. And so each week we've been, we've been looking at a few different things. We've, everything from spiritual apathy to pride to hypocrisy. But it all comes down to what would Jesus undo. And today I want to talk to you about kind of, um, I think this is something that most Christians think about. We won't necessarily say that we think about it. So I, I need you to kind of track with me. Um, because it's a, l- a little bit of a mindset that I find specifically in the American church that, um, that we don't necessarily want to admit, but, but is real. And it's this idea. It's the idea that, that there are different levels of Christianity. That, um, and now let me explain. Like, like there are Christians, and then there are hyper-Christians. You understand what I mean? Like there are, the, there are Christians, and then there are those people who like won't shut up about Jesus. You know, you know if you, you are one of those. Like, they're, 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 there's like the Christian, the churchgoer, and then there's people that are like, oh my goodness, everything you say, everything you, every conversation turns around to, to Jesus. So there, there are followers of Jesus, and then there are the disciples of Jesus. Like, that's a, there's, there's an entry-level position, and then there's the upper echelon of Christians. And so, like, you can kind of, you can figure out, you know, you could stay here at entry level. That's fine, whatever, the pay's not great, but you can stay there. And then, that then you can go on to, like, the disciple level, like, where, where all of a sudden things get, get really serious. So growing up Catholic, um, there, was, there were the Catholics, and then there were the devout Catholics. Right? If you come from the Catholic Church, you understand what I'm talking about. Like, those are the people that went to church, not Christmas and Easter. They went every week, and most of them went every day, right, if you were really devout. So there was like this kind of like, yeah, you can get this, and this is entry level, and you can get by with this, but then there's the devout level, the discipleship level, where, where it gets really serious, and there's this whole idea. Um, and and what, I've been, what I've been finding, and even in just, I've always struggled with this, to be honest, is that Jesus never seems to see Christianity that way. He never seems to see following him the way that we tend to. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we kind of made this thing up. This whole, like, the different levels of, of, of Christianity. Like, you can kind of get in here, and this will get you to heaven, but if you want to do something harder, who wants to do harder? When I get the same product, like, this sounds awesome, right? Like, I, this, I'm just going to stay right here at the entry-level position. I'm not going to do anything more than that. It's the problem is, is that I, don't, I just don't see it in the Gospels. I just don't see it when Jesus is communicating what it means to follow him. That's the, that's the conundrum. That's the problem that, that we fall into when we, when we have this mindset. And so I want to read from, with, with you Luke chapter 9. And this is the words of Jesus. And I wonder if you'd stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. 
We're going to read Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in uh, verse 23. We'll just read a few verses here. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Let's start it out. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple. Well, let's pause here. We're going to keep reading, but pause for a second. This word disciple, I think this is kind of part, part of the problem for me at least, for, and I think for many of us, that we kind of look at this word disciple as though it's like an optional word. Like, well, I don't really want to be that. I don't, I'm good just kind of being a Christian, but like a disciple is like the upper echelon, so like I, I, I don't think... I don't think I want to achieve that. And so sometimes we think, well, there are Christians and then, then there are disciples. And I'm just happy being a Christian. I'll leave that to the 12 disciples, their own requirements and things that, they're, that they have to do. But this word disciple simply means this, a follower, someone who comes after. So when he says, we just read it, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple, he's saying, whoever wants to be my follower, whoever wants to follow after me, this is for anyone that's choosing to follow Jesus. This is what he says. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Well, whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you as you explained not just to these followers a couple thousand years ago, but you explained to us as followers of you what it means to follow you can be very different than what we can assume it does. So God, I'd pray that we would be open, willing, and receptive to hear your requirements of following you. We thank you that you not only speak truth, but it is the very power of salvation in our lives. Let us be open to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, what would Jesus undo? Today I want to talk to you about this, that Jesus would undo being a fan of his rather than a follower of his. What would Jesus undo? Being his fan. I got some, um, some of these points from a book that, that I read called uh, years ago called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. He's a, he's a pastor and he does a masterful job of just kind of showing the difference between what it means to be a fan and what it means to be a follower. Um, because there is a difference between a fan and a follower. If you're taking notes this morning, the first fill in the blank says this, that fans admire Jesus, followers obey him. Fans admire Jesus, but followers obey him. See, Jesus always had a lot of fans. He always had crowds people that would, that would like come around him. We can read throughout the scriptures. There would be times and seasons in his ministry where he would be inundated with people, crowds of people that would gather around. But many times they would gather around him because they needed something from him, right? So they would come around like if you were sick or in need of healing, the crowds would come. So they'd come limping, blind, deaf, mute, 
some, some, and somehow needing healing. They would come and follow, hoping that they could get close enough, hoping that they could but touch the hem of his garment, hoping that maybe he would notice them and, 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 and touch them and heal them. Some people found out and learned that, that he would do an awesome like subway, uh, subway lunch miracle where like he took all this food and fed it. So if you just hung around long enough, Jesus would feed you. So like let's just go and like free food, that's a good, that's a good reason to follow this guy. So they would come around for whatever reason they had to, to, to follow Jesus, but they weren't followers because once they got what they needed, they left. Once Jesus, you know, did something that they needed him to do, they were like, thank you, Jesus, I, I, I'm out. Once Jesus preached truth that was a little bit too hard to hear and too hard to stomach, then, then the fans begin to disperse. They start to go their separate ways. And I've been praying even over this past week and, and just like this question's been rolling on the inside of me is that like how often the American church draws huge crowds of fans rather than followers of Jesus. People coming to get something from him but that's the extent of it. And as I look throughout scripture Jesus was not interested in enthusiastic admirers. He really wasn't. He was never intoxicated by crowds. He never looked around him and like, Peter, dude, we are kicking it. This is awesome. Like, have you seen all these people? This is amazing. We should hire more staff and build a building. This is going to be, this is, you never will find Jesus intoxicated by crowds because it never was fans that he wanted. It was always fully committed followers. That's what he always wanted. And so the question is this, like, what does it really mean to follow? So this is the definition. To follow means this, to imitate to move in the same direction, and to obey. So what does a follower of Jesus look like? A person that imitates him, that walks in the same direction as him, and obeys him. Mm. We love that word, don't we? Obey. Just gives us all warm fuzzies. That's what it is. So when somebody says, like, oh, I'm a Christ follower, but they're unwilling to obey the words of Christ... You're a fan. You're actually not a follower. Like from the very definition of following, you are not that. Followers imitate, move in the same direction, and obey him. And so I want to spend some time uh, talking about this, this question this morning. And if you're taking notes, the question is this. How do we move from fan to follower? What does that look like? Number one is this. And I wrote it down as, as something, if you're under 20, you'll understand what this means. DTR, which, uh, which means define the relationship. Um, these, are, these are conversations that uh, if you've ever been in a dating relationship, you've had these conversations, these DTR conversations, which means that you're defining the relationship. Maybe it's week two and you've been dating somebody and they're like, hey, listen, I want to sit down and talk about us. What, what, where do you see this going? You've ever had those conversations? And it's like, you're like, what week, what's your last name again? Like, I don't, what are you talking about? What is us? There is no, us? Like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I don't know, kind of like you, and what seems going well, right? But like, they're like, well, well, like, 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 how many children do you want to have? What should we name them? 
and you're like, whoa, chill out, right? It's DTR. It's define the relationship conversation. Now, this is one thing, and it's a little scary when it's like week one, date one. Let me just tell you, if you're on like Christian Mingle, and you're wondering like, I don't know why I don't get a second date. It may be because you're having a DTR conversation on week one, date one, and they're like, whoa, back off, right? But it's very different when you've been dating for five years, and you're still afraid of having a DTR conversation? Like, come on. There's a commitment issues, or you just need to call this thing off, because if you're not sure where it's going after five years, like, come on. DTR relationship. DTR, define the relationship. And, and honestly, I think that it would be good for us, it's good for me, to have kind of a DTR with Jesus, to define the relationship with him. Because I think there are a lot of people that want to have a relationship with Jesus, but they just want it on their own terms. And what I mean by that is like they want a a no-strings-attached relationship where they get all the benefits without any commitment. It's like friends with benefits. I said it. Right? It's like... Like, I, 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 I really, like, I'm happy with where things are at. I just don't want any commitment in this. Like, Jesus, like, I want all the blessings. I want the health. I want to be able to pray to you and have you hear me. I want eternal security, but keep your nose out of my business. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus, Lord, make yourself at home. Just stay out of the bedroom. Like, God, I'm okay with, with everything that, you know, you can have my, my whole life. You, you can even come to work with me, but there are going to be some meetings that I, you're not going to be invited into. And Jesus, just so you know, there are going to be some nights where I go out with my friends and you're not going to be invited. Friends with benefits. And it boils down to this question that I've been talking about. Is this, like, are you a follower of Jesus or a fan of Jesus? So I want to help you figure that out by asking a simple question. It's this. Have you made a decision to believe in Jesus Or have you committed to following Jesus? Because those two things are very different. Because the Bible says that even demons believe in Jesus. So what it's saying is that the lowest form of faith is demonic faith. You believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do. Just want you to know the demons believe that too. So that's, I'm just saying the bar is really not that high, right? So like, (laughs) but what I'm saying is Jesus never said like, I just want you to believe in me. He doesn't even have to get demons to do that. He actually says, I want, come, follow me. Obey me. Move in the same direction that I'm moving. Imitate me. That's what Jesus is looking for all throughout Scripture. And the problem is, is that, you know, I think that when Jesus defined the relationship with us in Scripture, being a fan was never an option. It was never an option. Jesus calls us to follow him about 20 times in the Gospels. It's the word that he uses. We just read in Luke 9, 23, he says this. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, right? We said that, follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, if you want to be my follower, you must follow me, which seems very, very easy, but sometimes not so much. Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says, In the same way, those who do not give up everything you have 
cannot be my disciples or followers. This is some strong stuff. When we really are faced with it, like, eesh, I mean, did Jesus mean, maybe he meant something a little bit lighter than that. I think he's making it very clear that following him is much more than an intellectual acceptance of that he is who he says that he is. It's more than just easy believism or just saying like, yes, I, I, I believe that he was real, that he did miracles, that he's the son of God, that kind of thing. It's more than that. There's a cost because following him will undoubtedly cost you something. And this is kind of like we haven't really done a great job in the, in the church, to be honest. Like, um, I think, you know, people like me and pulpits like me have, have said things and tried to get you in the door and accept Jesus and tell you that, like, if you just receive Jesus and believe in him, then, like, your life's going to be better. You're going to get a, a, you know, a pay increase. You're going to look 10 years younger. And you're going to find that soulmate that you've been looking for. So you just do that, and then Jesus is going to make your life all better. But the reality is, and what I found is true, is that it always comes at a cost. Anything worth having always comes at a cost. The second point is this. You're going to love this one even better. I have a cold, so I don't care. Number two, die to yourself. I love that point. Die to yourself. Luke 9.24 says this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And this is where the die to yourself comes. He says, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So Jesus, following Jesus is not about trying every day. It's about dying every day. It's about coming to that place of like, Jesus, like, I don't have the strength in me today to be able to live for you. God, I I need to die to myself. Why? Because when I'm full of myself, you can't fill me. I need to empty myself of me so that you can fill me with you. That's, That's the call of the Christian every single day. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the bottom line call of us as Christians. God, less of me and more of you. I take me out so you can fill me. Because more of me just looks like, ugh, more of me. And nobody needs more of that. I don't need more of that. I need more of you in my life. And this is the question, the question to ask yourself. Has following Jesus cost me anything? I mean, really, wrestle with it. Let it sit there for a second. Like, I mean, has following Jesus cost you anything? Has it cost you popularity? I don't know. Has it cost you a promotion? Has it cost you financially? Because what I've found to be true is that everything worth having comes at a cost. So, there's no forgiveness without repentance. There's no salvation without surrender. There's no life without death. And there's no believing without following. This is the gospel. And I know it doesn't sound all that sexy, but it's the gospel. Because anything worth having comes at a sacrifice many times you don't even know how dedicated you are to something until it requires a sacrifice right you just get married you're like oh my gosh i just love you love you love you and then what happens you get in a fight and you're like i'm going to bury you in my backyard right (laughs) 
because you don't even realize. You're like, all of a sudden, you just realize, like, what in the world? Like, I thought marriage was going to be, like, for better, not worse. For richer, yeah, not poorer. Like, I don't understand. This was supposed to be, like, a, a deal that was about me, and you were going to be able to serve me, make me food. And now you're too busy? You don't see things the way that I see them? Sometimes we don't even know how dedicated we are to something until we get into a fight with it. And all of a sudden you realize, hmm, I just really don't know where I'm at with this right now. When the sacrifice is required. The third point is even better than the second. And it is this. Become a slave. I know I'm winning friends today. Become a slave. Here's the thing. When I look at the people that follow Jesus, Jesus did not seem very concerned about the riffraff that chose to follow him. I mean, the people that were around him were just like, what, what were you thinking? Like, you picked these people? In fact, what I find is that Jesus tended to go and actually invite, go out of his way to invite riffraff. He, he would always, he'd be inviting misbehaviors and unbelievers all day. Misbehave, why would he do that? Why? Because when you're at the end of yourself, you find the beginning of grace. Because here's what I know. When I met Christ, I knew that I was at the end of myself. I knew that I had nothing to offer, that I was literally like, Jesus, I just need you to take this life and make it into something beautiful. And I'm at the end of myself, and it was where I found the beginning of grace. But Jesus never really had much patience for perfect people. We find this, and we've been talking about it the past few weeks, about hypocrisy, how he would just flip out at the Pharisees. Why? Because God can't fill you when you're already full of yourself. So if you're already full of yourself, he's like, I got nothing for you. Like, all I do is pour in, and you're all good. Like, you're full. You got everything you need. Like, everything's good. I don't need to lean into anything. Thank you, Jesus. If you could just get me into heaven, give me that ticket, I'll be fine. And Jesus is like, that's not what I do. That's, that, that's, that's not what this is about. He was always calling in those people that were at the end of themselves so that they could find the beginning of grace. And it was always riffraff. We find one in Matthew chapter 9. There's a guy, uh, riffraff, his guy, the guy's name is uh, uh, Matthew. In other, uh, other gospels, they, his name is Levi, same guy. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, as Jesus went on from there, so he's, he's got his, his crew, his entourage with him, right? He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He sees this guy who's like hated. I mean, like tax collectors were not popular. Why? Because they worked for the enemy. They were collecting taxes from their own people. And not only that, they'd be taking extra so that they could line their own pockets. So you see a tax collector. Nobody's going up to them. Everybody's like, oh, gosh, let's walk over here. Walk on the other side of the street so that you didn't have to actually see them so that they wouldn't, you know, hey, whoa, you owe me something. You'd stay away from them. Jesus walks right up to him, and this is what he says. Follow me, he told him follow me. He gives, he gives a two-word invitation. The only two words he says to Matthew is this, follow me. And I just think about how the rest of his entourage, the other disciples, the other followers, were th- what they were thinking about this. Like if it were me, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, what? 
We're not having a tax collector hanging out with us. That is not happening. I didn't pay my taxes last year, and he is not coming out with us, right? And so they're reacting. They're like, well, Jesus, this guy's like an on-purpose sinner. Like, he is a, literally a professional sinner. And, and you're telling us that, like, he's going to come hang out with us. But, but here's the thing, Jesus. I don't think you understand this. If he follows you, that means he has to hang out with us. You need to tell him how long, a no-good, dirty scoundrel he is first. At least tell him. You know what, Jesus? I'll tell him, right? They're just upset, right? I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't blame them. And Jesus invites a man. Don't, don't miss this. He invites a man who everybody knows doesn't deserve it. Everybody knows it. The guy's an on-purpose professional sinner. Everybody knows he doesn't deserve it. And he, and he just goes up to him and he just says, follow me. Follow me. And this is how it always starts with Jesus. I love this. He didn't ask Matthew to give up something, to, 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 to be a better person first, to figure out those things. He didn't say, you know, you got to memorize these scriptures and come back to me and recite them and then everything's going to be, and then you can come follow me. He just says these two words that echo in the souls of us looking for a place to land, and he says, follow me. And from that time till now, that is how every sinner has come into the kingdom of heaven. Follow me. A defining moment, a, a, a defining question. Will you follow me? And when Jesus says this to Matthew, I love it. He says, follow me. He's making it clear that this invitation to follow him is not just for the religious elite or the morally upright. He's saying, literally, everyone is invited to follow. Because if he's invited to follow, then you are. Follow me. And then he says, anyone, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I love that word, anyone. You look it up in the Greek, you know what it means? Anyone. Is that me? Yeah, it's you. Anyone. It's a pretty inclusive word. Anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone who's ever thought, I've gone too far, my stain's too big, people don't know what I've done, anyone. Anyone who's ever laid awake at night thinking to themselves, I can't believe what I've done, anyone. Anyone who's woken up in the morning and looked at themselves in the mirror and thought, I can't believe what I've become, anyone. Anyone is invited to follow Jesus. That is great news. It is such good news that anyone is invited. And he says this in Matthew 9, 9. I love his response. Jesus said, yeah, come, follow me. It says in Matthew 9, 9, and Matthew got up and followed him. What does that even mean? I mean, I just think about what, like you're, you're an on-purpose sinner. You know you're, you're, you're not doing good. Jesus says, follow me. You just get up and you're just like, hey, well, okay, where are we going? We're just uh, going for a walk? Follow me? Where are we going? Are we going to get some lunch? What, is this, what does this look like? And he just says, no, 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 no. Follow me. I just want you to know, Matthew was not thinking, hey, um, listen, guys, I'm going to go with this guy. He's a rabbi. Um, he asked me to follow him. Could you, I'll be back, though. Could you just kind of watch my stuff? all right, cool, just count my money, that'd be great, right? 
That's not at all what he, what he thought when, he, when Jesus said, follow me, because there's something that rises up in the inside of each and every single one of us when Jesus has called you and said, follow me, that you know that he's asking for much more than just following him down the road. Because it just rattles around on the inside of our souls looking for a place to land. And we know he's not just saying, yeah, if you could just kind of walk down the road with me for a little bit, that'd be great. He just says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. And he understood. There was a knowing that following a rabbi was going to be a 24-hour, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week commitment. Matthew understood that it wasn't just going to be about knowing what Jesus knows. It was going to be living what Jesus lives. It was going to cost him something. He was making no plans to come back to his little tax collector's booth and keep this thing going on the side as a side hustle. Like, Every follower of Jesus knew this. Why? Because we find it all throughout the Gospels. When Jesus told Simon and Andrew to follow him, he just follow me, at once they left their nets and followed him. Those are two guys. Peter said in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. Everything? Everything to follow you. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it says they pulled their boats up on the shore left everything and followed him. I just need you to understand that Jesus was not this guy that they were just tagging along with. They followed him. And they called him this word. This word that we've heard before, and we say it a lot. It's this word, Lord. They called him Lord. Matthew understood that in order to follow Jesus, Jesus was Lord. And the word Lord in the New Testament is interesting because I think that, you know, in American Christianity, I think sometimes we, we kind of use that word Lord as like an interchangeable word for God. So we'll be like, oh, Lord Jesus, Lord God, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. God, that you would do this, Jesus, Lord, Father, God. We say these words as though they're kind of this just interchangeable. It's just like you say Jesus too many times, you should probably throw in a Lord just to cover yourself. Like we kind of get into this place. Well, we don't necessarily know it, what it is that we're saying, but we say it because it's a word that we use, Christianese. But in actuality, the, the Greek word for Lord is the word koreos. Koreos. And what's interesting about this word is this. It is without question a slavery word. It's a slavery word. A koreos was the owner of a slave. Koreos. So when somebody calls Jesus Lord, Koreos, they're not calling him, hey, you got some really great ideas, you're kind of a great advisor when I need one. No, they're saying Jesus is my owner. You're my owner. And that's a pretty big deal. I don't know about you, if I, that kind of like changes things around a little bit for me. And it makes sense because we read, we read things like Jesus says in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Koryas, Koryas, and do not do what I say? In other words, why do you call me master, master? Why are you calling me your owner, owner, and do not do what I say? Because what I know to be true is you don't get to pick or choose whether you obey or disobey when you're a slave. Do you? We don't get to say, ah, I don't know, you know, you're my master and I'm your slave, but like, I don't really feel like doing that today. Like, I don't really like that. That's a great idea. I'm going to keep that and, you know, I'm going to tuck that in there real good. I'll think about it. Like, no, 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 That's not what happens. 
And somebody is your master. You don't get to pick or choose what it is that you do. And there's, there's, there's no way to call someone a chorios without calling yourself a doulos. And you guessed it. The word for doulos is slave. There's no way you can call somebody a, your, your kulios without calling yourself a doulos. And I understand that's not really popular. Like, I understand that you're like, I don't really like, can you stop talking about slavery? This is really like, because of all the connotations and things that, that we've lived with through our history. I'm just telling you, if you get down to the, to the, to the root of what it is that Jesus is talking about, this is, these are the words, this is the terminology that he's using. And because of we, we're, we're kind of not comfortable with it, a lot of times we will translate in certain versions of the Bible, rather than saying slave, we'll say servant. But how many of you know there's a difference between being a servant and a slave? I mean, a servant gets to serve when they want to serve. A servant can be like, no, I think I'm good. I don't want to do this. Why? Because they're an employee, not a slave. Slavery is very different than servanthood. And this is the words that, that, that Jesus uses. Servant serves at their own liking, but they're employees, not slaves. And when, in your fill in the blanks, it says this. Following Jesus means that you must unfollow someone or something else. Following Jesus means, this is, this, this is so key for us to understand. Following Jesus means that you must unfollow someone or something else. Matthew 6, 24, this, uh, this will help you understand it. He says, no one can serve, and the word is doulos, or a derivative of that. No one can serve doulos, two masters, kurios. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it actually is a little confusing because it would make more sense for us to say no one can be a slave to two masters. Because we understand that. Because I don't know about you, but you can actually be a servant to two masters. Did you know that? Like if you, you have two part-time jobs, you're actually a servant to two masters. You've got two bosses, right? So at this job, this is my boss. At this job, this is my boss. But when you're a slave, you can't have two masters. You have one master. And whoever you're a slave to determines your rights and your identity. And this is what Jesus is getting at. This is what Jesus is getting at. So, so what he's explaining to us is this. Whether or not you realize it, you are a slave to something. You're a slave to something. When we are born, we are slaves to ourselves. First words are mine. Mine, right? That's the biggest thing in the world to me, is me, mine. That is mine, that is my possessions, and as we go about through our days, we, we're owned by our, 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 our pleasures, our possessions, the approval of people, and they are horrible taskmasters because they're never satiated. We never get to that point. So either we're a slave to sin or, this is what, this is what Jesus is communicating, it's either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God, where we find that we actually experience true freedom. When we're slaves. So instead of shame, instead of guilt, instead of bondage and death, 
In Christ, we find joy and grace and eternal life. That's what we find in Jesus. My Lord and Master's invitation is this. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this to all of us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened and enslaved by other things, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here, if we can get past this whole kind of like connotation that we attribute to slavery, and I just want you, this is a beautiful thing that God is, is trying to communicate to us. And I want you to think about this and let this resonate in you, that Jesus is trying to communicate something to us like this. You have nothing to offer me. Everything you have is mine. You can't earn my grace. It, all, all, you have to, all you can do is surrender your life to me. That's it. And I am the best master that you have ever had. And why do I say that? Because when God is our Lord, when he is our master, he doesn't lord it over us. What does he do? He makes you a son. And he makes you a daughter. And he calls you friend. Because your earthly taskmasters, your earthly, your earthly owners will keep you at arm's length and not bring you in. But God says, when you make me Lord, when you make kurios, when you say, I am your doulos, I bring you into the family. Like, I bring you in and make you a kid of mine. I adopt you into my family. I don't treat you like a slave. I put a ring on your finger, and I treat you like one of my own. And I don't have to do it. I do it because I love you. And you don't have anything to offer me. You don't have, you're not good enough to be able to earn this thing. You're not, you're not good looking enough to be able to like, oh, I want you in my family. No, listen, I literally know that your value is in me. And he brings us in and he calls us family and he adopts us as one of his own. The best taskmaster you've ever had. Because you are a slave to something. And he says, be a slave to me, and it will feel like freedom, the greatest freedom you've ever had. Why don't you stand with me? John chapter 6, I'm going to leave you with this story. John chapter 6 is interesting because... Jesus is like a rock star in the beginning of John chapter 6. Uh, people were following, crowds were gathering, fans were all around and, and just, just clamoring around Jesus. And then Jesus <clears throat> gets up in the middle of like all of this success. I mean, like things are booming. Like he's considering multi-site and he's got some, I'm thinking about some few video venues. I'm just kidding. But like he's, he's really doing great. Like things are, things are really kicking in, in this early church and uh, he has a crowd, but Jesus was never impressed by the crowd. Don't forget that. And he gets up and he starts preaching. You can read it for yourself, but it's a, it's a strange sermon. Like even for me reading it now, it's like, exactly where you going with this Jesus I mean like he starts talking about like you, if you don't if you don't drink my blood and, and, and eat my flesh and you have no part in me it's like okay 
what are you, what are you talking about? And people start to question, like, um, I'm confused. And he just keeps going on. Like, he's just like, oh, okay, yeah. And he just keeps talking about the same thing. And people are like, we're a little concerned. Like, we don't quite understand what's going on. And people are getting jiggy. And then we find in John 6, verse 66, it says that from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The crowds start leaving, the fans disperse, and the followers stop following. And I'm sure that the core 12, like the ones that were tight with him, that had been with him for a long time, um, I'm sure that if they had any wits about them, they they were sitting Jesus down and saying, okay, Jesus, next Sunday, you need to tone it down. Like, I don't know if you realize this, but like people, you were talking about eating your, eating your blood, and blood ah, well, and people were leaving Jesus. Like, this is not good for our numbers. Our tithe is down. Like, we need more butts and seats, Jesus. Like, if you could just, if you could tell them more that they want to hear, that'd be great. Do healings. They love those things. And if you could do that whole like subway lunch miracle thing, that would be awesome too. Because everybody loves a free meal. And Jesus looks at them in verse 67 and he asks this question that I think he asks, well, he asks to me all the time. And he says this, you do not want to leave too, do you? You don't want to leave too, do you? Because Jesus always loves drawing us into defining moments. <laughs> where we're confronted with the stuff that's really going on on the inside of us, the ugly parts that we don't want to admit. Because here's the thing, you know that they're all thinking about it. I mean, everybody's leaving. Suddenly, like, the crowds are dispersing. Suddenly, following Jesus was not going to be popular anymore. Following Jesus was going to be difficult. It was going to be inconvenient. Following Jesus was going to cost them something. And I don't know about you, but, like, I, I have defining moments like these like every year or month okay every day every day I have these moments where suddenly following Jesus is not to my advantage anymore it's not doing me any good it's actually hard and it costs me a lot In fact, it's not helping out my popularity or my finances or my happiness. And maybe for some of you, <laughs> you don't even want to like be associated with Jesus, you know, because other certain circles wouldn't necessarily respond to that well. And so maybe for some of you, Jesus is that embarrassing friend that you hang out with on a Sunday, but you don't want your friends to know that you're hanging out with him. Why? Because if they knew that they knew that you were hanging out with this guy on a, on a Sunday, then you would be ostracized or criticized at best. So Jesus is kind of that embarrassing friend. You all have one. You know what I'm talking about. Just don't know quite what to do with him. And I love how, how Peter speaks up. He speaks up 
my goodness, he speaks up out of the 12. None of the rest say anything as they're kind of awkwardly trying to not to make eye contact with Jesus, act like they're texting a friend. You know what I mean? Where you do that, you're just like, oh, I didn't hear what you said. What was that? Peter just speaks right out and he just goes right at it. And I love this about him. He says this in verse 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? go. You don't leave too, do you? To whom shall we go? In other words, yeah, we were thinking, I mean, we were just talking, we were thinking about leaving, but like it occurred to me as we were talking about it, that to, to walk away from you means that I'm going to have to walk towards someone or something else. That choosing to, to unfollow you means that I'm choosing to follow someone or something else. And I'm just, I just have this question, like who, 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 to whom shall I go? And he says, you have the words of eternal life. (laughs) We have come to believe that and to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? To whom? To whom shall we go? And I just want to leave you with this question today. Because for maybe for some of you, you, you're at this place where like you've had Jesus ask you this question and maybe it's the first time that it's happening in you, but he's just calling you and he says, follow me. And you know that he's not just calling you to just come to church next week. Like you know that there's something more to it than that. You know that he's calling you to live something out that that it is on the inside of you that means so much deeper and so much more than just showing up to church. Like there's something on the inside of you when he says, follow me, you know that there's more to it. And you can kind of like satiate yourself and, and kind of get yourself in this place where you're like, that's all he's just asking me to just kind of go to church and, and be, a, be, be part of the crowd and be his fan. But you just know that there's something on the inside of you that he's calling you to more. And if that's you this morning, I just want to be able to pray with you. If you're in that place where you're like, you know what, I've been coming to church for a long time or this is my first Sunday. But I have this rattling around on the inside of me today as Jesus is asking me and confronting me with this decision of come, follow me. And I don't, don't worry about who's in front of you, who's beside you, who's around you, who knows you, who doesn't know you. This is just between you and you and the Lord right now. Just raise your hand up and say, yep, this is where I'm at right now. I know that I know that God is calling me to something greater, to an adventure that I've never been on. Just raise your hand up tall. This is just between you and the Lord now. Raise it up. I want to pray with you. As you have your hands raised, I want to pray pray with you. It's a simple prayer because it has less to do with the words we say and more to do with the surrender of our hearts to make him our kurios, our Lord and our master. So pray with me. The whole church can pray along with me. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I need a Savior. And so I repent right now for following everything else and for the sin in my life. And I make you my kurios, my Lord and my Master. I promise to imitate you and to follow you. But 
God, I need your help to do it. So I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, the grace and the power to live this life. In Jesus' name. Lord God, I pray for each and every single person in here that made that declaration. God, I pray that you would meet them, that you would confirm your word to them. God, you would give them an insatiable desire for your word and to hear from you. God, I pray that no matter where they've been, no matter what their past looks like, that you've invited every single one of us to follow you and we walk in step and in line with you. We listen and obey because you are the best Koryas we've ever had. God, I thank you for being my Lord, my Master, my Savior, and my all in all. So as we worship today, I want you to just reflect back. Reflect back on how good God has been, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. How he adopted you into the family. He wants to do a new work in you, not just leave you where he's found you, but cultivate something brand new on the inside of you. That he wants to pour new wine into this old wineskin, Lord God, and create something different and new in you. 